following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. And this is a show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score as it really deserved to be that low. Tonight's movie is 2004's The Day After Tomorrow, directed by Roland Emmerich, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Emmy Rossum, Ian Holm, Celia Ward, and Dennis Quaid. The Day After Tomorrow is a science fiction disaster film, this movie currently holds a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? A paleoclimatologist, Professor Jack Hall, discovers that due to global warming, the polar ice caps are melting, which lowers the ocean's temperature. That triggers a massive climate shift, which brings forth a new ice age. Meanwhile, Jack's son, Sam, is in Manhattan on a trip with some friends. Jack heads north to try and rescue his son, but the cold is a powerful adversary. Okay, Martin, the day after tomorrow. What's your history with this? I've seen it before. I remember enjoying the effects of the movie, and I remember having a pretty heartfelt moment when I realized what it was to have a true father in Dennis Quaid's character. I had never seen this movie before, and quite frankly, I never wanted to see it. But now that you have, you can see a lot of the things that your dad might have done yeah, wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm emancipating myself from my family. <laughs> see if I can get Dennis Quaid to adopt me. Let's do what we always do at the top of the show. Let's discuss the actors one by one and see how you thought they did. Okay, first up, the, our hero, Jake Gyllenhaal. First time around on our show, Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay, well, what'd you think of this guy? He wasn't horrible, he was all right. I think Jake Gyllenhaal has a lot of haters out there in the world. I am not among them. I, I like him. I always end up confusing Jake Gyllenhaal with Tobey Maguire. I'm gonna toss Elijah Wood on that pile. These, yeah. are, these are the three long lost brothers. Then I immediately associate the uh, Spider-Man movie adaptations to that, and that kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. What about Donnie Darko? You have a Darko tattoo on your face. It's pretty amazing. 20 the numbers, the yeah. numbers, 22, 14, 36, whatever. I have no problem with Jake Gyllenhaal. His sister's okay. Maggie. All right. Uh, Emmy Rossum. She was the girl that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal had, uh, had the hots for. I thought that she was extremely attractive. That's pretty much all and I had that to was, say. That was her purpose in yeah. this movie. She was supposed to be an attractive. I was uh, like, damn. All right. Uh, Ian Holm. I believe he was the, um, the scientist who he first figured it all out. Yeah. I like this guy a lot. Like I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He's one of those guys guys when you see him you're like oh there's that guy but you have to know what his name is so now i know ian holm let's just jump to the other uh, big dog here dennis quaid it's what people have been clamoring for as far as dennis quaid goes he was he was at peak quaid levels in this movie wow you could see that he didn't want to act he like he forcefully was like i'm not acting in this scene and he did the least <laughs> amount of acting that he could do and still get through the scene without the director having to stop it just enough to skate on just by, enough right? to skate on by you could tell like he he is so good at this he's the master of it he knows the least amount of of emotion to put into a scene and still get it going he really is our patron saint i know he was in this movie i know he had a lot to say. He had a lot of lines. He did. I don't remember any, any of them. them. <laughs> there was no... <laughs> it wasn't like he had one scene where it was a pivotal scene in the movie where there was emotion. I'm sure he had a few. I don't know what they are. I don't remember any of them. And you know, I'm thinking about it now and like, I think his entire character could have been cut out of the script. <laughs> And the movie would have been exactly the same. Yeah, but I wouldn't have watched the movie. Yeah, I wouldn't have had that Genesee Quaid that we crave. But Dennis Quaid is at the top of his game in this one, so let me get into the brief history of the day after tomorrow. 
Director Roland Emmerich said he became interested in doing a movie involving weather while shooting The Patriot. He said his whole day revolved around what the weather forecast was in order to shoot the outdoor scenes and that he really just wanted to control the weather himself. The movie was inspired by The Coming Global Superstorm, a book co-authored by Coast to Coast AM talk radio host Art Bell and Whitley Stryber. Emmerich paid $200,000 from his own pocket to make the production carbon neutral, the first of its kind in Hollywood. All carbon dioxide emitted by the production was offset by the planting of trees and investments in renewable energy. There was some controversy regarding the casting of Kenneth Welsh as Vice President of the United States due to his striking physical resemblance to then-Vice President Dick Cheney. Roland Emmerich later confirmed that he deliberately chose Welsh for that very reason. Emmerich stated that the characters of the President and Vice President in the film were intended to be a not-so-subtle criticism of the environmental policies of the presidency of George W. Bush. The White House did not respond to requests for comment on the film. In response to accusations of of insensitivity by including scenes of New York City being destroyed less than three years after September 11th. Emmerich claims that it was necessary to depict the event as a means to showcase the increased unity people now have when facing a disaster because of 9-11. The movie was filmed in Montreal and is the highest grossing Hollywood film in history to be filmed in Canada. The film did well at the box office, grossing $543 million internationally. Domestically, it is the sixth highest grossing movie not to be number one in the U.S. box office, behind My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Alvin and the Chipmunks, and its sequel, Sherlock Holmes, and Ice Age, The Age of Dinosaurs. The film went on to make $110 million in DVD sales. Holy shit. They got some of that from you. I bought- <laughs> You bought, I bought one. I bought 3,000 copies. <laughs> All right, Marlon, let's dive into this thing. The Day After Tomorrow. Okay, so this movie starts out with Dennis Quaid in what, Greenland? I, I thought he was in Antarctica, so I was having flashbacks to Whiteout, because it looked just like it. Dennis Quaid's out in the snow, and didn't it look super fake? Yeah, it did. It looked horrible. Just like Whiteout. Like, it was the same thing. Yeah, I made a note of how poor the CG was, especially when he's dangling off of this cr- crevasse <laughs> oh, that yeah. opens up. That's right. It looks like Mortal Kombat level <laughs> CG. Essentially, what happens is they're they're taking ice core samples. You do in an inconvenient truth, like being yeah. for the ice and checking the, the carbon levels. Yeah, he's stuff. a scientist for NOAA, which is. But the, by the way, pause. Dennis Quaid, scientist? scientist? This is unbelievable. <laughs> I don't. That's the most unbelievable. <laughs> Out of all the typecasting that they could have gave Quaid, I don't know. For me, I, I can't buy him as a scientist. Can you? <laughs> Not at all. No. This crevasse opens up and Dennis Quaid does something dumb. He <laughs> jumps over. Like he's in the Matrix. He de- <laughs> leaps across this giant chasm. After this movie starts off, like, how many feet Quaid. down do you think that drop was? Infinite. It went right <laughs> to the Earth's core. <laughs> he jumps over to get these ice samples. They're not that important. <laughs> they can't be that important because later on in the movie, he's in a room full of literally thousands of these. That's things. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're then immediately taken back from that, and somehow he analyzes, or it's insinuated that he has analyzed these cores, and he has come to the conclusion that the Earth in the next fifty to one hundred years, if if nothing is stopped to change carbon emissions will plunge into the next ice age. Yeah, he tells it to the vice president like at a meeting. I thought this was some heavy-handed stuff. Like it was. Well, well, no, you know, you know what this was? This was the typical disaster movie cliche. The lone man knows the no, truth. No, no one, one will, will believe it. You guys gotta believe me. There's gonna be an earthquake. Yeah, so we're okay. It's down at this point that we're introduced to Jake Gyllenhaal, and Jake in this movie is supposed to be a high school student. I, I had to look this up because I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> is, he, is he, he college or high school? So I actually looked it up, and he is a high school student. This guy looks like he's 37 years old. <laughs> And he's supposed to be in high school. 
Yeah, yeah. So one one person that we, we we didn't mention in the beginning of this thing, like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's high school buddy, is the kid from the Journey of Alan Strange yeah. from Nickelodeon. I think like five people listening to this know what that is, <laughs> but those who do, they, they're all tipping their hats. And <laughs> so we find that that Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid's relationship is a little strained. You know, typical father and son BS. Uh, Quaid is too busy fiddling with ice to be there to watch his son grow up. Now it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's time to shine. He's going to trivia challenge or, or something. Yeah, he's going to the academic triathlon. It's like a kind of like an invite only and there's all these super intelligent teams from like what what look like boarding schools. Jake Gyllenhaal hops on a plane and as he's going there, the coming super global apocalypse starts to rear its ugly head. Yeah, it starts to unfold. Because Jake Gyllenhaal's airplane flies into the kind of storm cloud that you would see on the face of like Jupiter. It's so big... <laughs> It's so unrealistic looking. I'm going to say this. Compared to 2012, this movie is leagues and bounds above that. At least at this point, it's much better than 2012 was. Even though the disasters are ridiculous, they're entertaining to watch. Apparently, the ocean's temperature has been dropping rapidly because Dennis Quaid's team has been drilling <laughs> holes and causing <laughs> icebergs to drop. This and it's all Dennis Den- Quaid's fault. This is Dennis Quaid's fault that that thing split off. It no. wasn't drilling like a six by six diameter hole in the ice. It would never have cracked. Yeah, so what's happening is that the icebergs keep falling into the ocean, thus cooling the ocean. And because the temperature is dropping, it's changing the current. The current changes. It's causing all this stuff to happen. And because of it, this super massive global ice age is being triggered because of this. I remember at this time, the leading theory about global temperature, or at at least what causes ice age and, and what causes them to be cyclical, was this heat conveyor current that went around the ocean ocean. And if ice fell off into it and melted into it, like they were saying was happening, the salinity would drop and this thing would stop working. And then there'd be another ice age. That's what Al Gore told me. He that, sat me down one day and told me did this. Did he? Did you sit on his lap? He's like, come here, Joel. I got to tell you something. I got a PowerPoint to show you. Yeah. So that's pretty much what happened. And, and this I don't m- know if that's still the scientific norm or like what the leading theory is at this point. I, I mean, I haven't heard anything about it recently. Have you? All scientists agree is what they said in the commercials. For 100% scientific, scientific unanimity. It's like, it's like, that's a <laughs> <laughs> well, any, anyways, now it's at this point where the the day after tomorrow actually kicks in. We see L.A. is just completely and utterly obliterated, wiped off the map. There's these massive F5 twister level tornadoes blowing through. Just if, like the finger of God. If only those people would tie themselves to a pipe and, and held on, <laughs> they would have lived. What do you think of the effects in this sequence? I, I thought it was really cool looking. I really like Yeah, for 2004 era effects, this looks pretty good. I really like seeing the Capitol record building get destroyed. Yeah. That was very cool. So me and Joel are having a grand old time. We don't live in LA, so we're like, (laughs) sorry, suckers. (laughs) Who cares about these idiots? Yeah, but then the tables turn on us uh, because New York York is next. Yeah, so things are going haywire all over the world, and we're shown this scene of utter insanity. I still don't understand how this is possible, but we're shown a sequence. I don't know if it's like in Switzerland or something, and these helicopters are flying around in like the Himalayas. I don't know where they are. No, no, no. It was Scotland. They were in the Scottish Highlands. Okay, whatever. And they're flying around and these helicopters are solid steel. All of a sudden they start freezing. Ice starts encasing them. The fuel lines freeze and the rudders stop moving and these helicopters drop like a stone. The inside of the helicopter, just like in Batman and Robin, the inside of the ship starts freezing, yet the people are inside of it, they're just fine. Solid steel freezes before wet, fleshy people. Yeah, people. 
So whatever, they all crash in a, like a comedic death spiral. And we're given a little piece of uh, foreshadowing. All this, it's like raining like crazy in New York. And they show like Central Park Zoo. Apparently the wolves have escaped. I wonder what this means. Who cares, right? Who let the dogs out? Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> oh. Edit that out. That's staying. <laughs> New York is pretty much being bombarded with like tidal waves and stuff. And like the Statue of Liberty gets hit by a tidal wave. Yeah, it's like a 700 foot tidal wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet it stands up. Don't you think it would have been knocked over? Here's what I think would happen if a tidal wave, a 700 foot tidal wave hit New York. Everything is gone. The end. It would just, it would, it would flatten everything. I mean, as far as the videos of like what we saw happen to all the buildings in Japan. No, that's true. I mean, literally everything gets, just gets destroyed. There's a lot of energy in that wall of water. Scale that wave up Don't 40, you know, 40 times. New York is a magical city with properties you'll never understand. <laughs> it's built in a grid. It's perfect. <laughs> Perfectly designed. So the kids decide that they need to go somewhere safe. And they end up at the New York Public Library of all places. And, and in the scuffle, the girl, she cuts her leg. And there's like this homeless bum and all this comic relief and all this crap. Somehow the library survives being smashed by uh, all this water. And like a giant Russian ocean liner somehow sails by. And So next we get a scene where Dennis Quaid is instructed to brief the president of the United States as far as what they should do in regards to this weather. He essentially draws down a map of the United States and takes a big Sharpie marker and draws across it from Delaware all the way across to Southern Oregon and says, everybody above this line is dead. Everybody below this line needs to evacuate to Mexico. They finally listen to reason and realize that Dennis Quaid is right. He's always right. At this point, the movie actually starts. Like all that other stuff is just setting up. Yeah, preamble to what is going to be the core conflict of the movie. Which is Dennis Quaid trying to get to Jake Gyllenhaal. Dennis Quaid says, I'm going to get my son. Give me back my son. He says, that's it, Mother Nature. So Dennis Quaid, (laughs) Dennis Quaid versus Mother Nature. Dennis Quaid hatches this scheme, harebrained scheme, I would say. Dennis Quaid says he's going to save his son. So they drive their car and they make it as far as Philadelphia and then they crash. Now, Dennis Quaid takes his two lab assistants. They volunteer. Why? They vocally say how Dennis Quaid sucks. They do. They're right. Continuously. Continuously. They (laughs) complain about him nonstop through this movie. They're like, he's a horrible boss. He's insane. Treats me like like shit. Treats me like shit. Why are they hell? Why are they? They die for him. For no reason. For no reason. This is pointless. According to this, his scenario, which has been right the entire movie, the likelihood of his son surviving is near zero. Dennis Quaid tells his son, listen, if you go outside, you will die. It will freeze you to death. So what he decides to do, he decides to go outside and rescue his son. So he starts hiking with snowshoes from Philadelphia to Manhattan with his two subordinates. They're dressed up in Arctic wear, as they should be. And they make it to, I guess, a sky mall somewhere in New Jersey. At this point, you're assuming that they're 100 feet above sea level because all this water that is washed into the area is frozen solid and they're hiking across it. Apparently, one of his subordinates breaks through the rooftop window of this mall and plummets down, but they're all connected by a rope. So he cuts the sled loose because it's too heavy, but his subordinate realizes that there's still too much weight. And this is supposed to be an emotionally heart-wrenching scene that would drop me to my knees in tears and anguish. Instead, it dropped you to your knees with in laughter and hilarity. <laughs> I laughed really hard. No, don't do it! And then he cuts his cord and, and he falls in slow motion, but it's not like smooth slow motion. It's this slow, choppy, yeah, yeah, like yeah. crappy. It looked really poor. What does he say as, as he's falling? Dennis! Dennis! Quaid! 
Quaid. Dennis Quaid's face, he's peering through the top window of this, and his face is priceless. Because, again, as Dennis Quaid's God-given ability is to act as little as he can and still get this, this, this scene completed. So his face is like, I kind of care, but not really. This man is dying for you. And he's just like... Dennis Quaid looks like he got the wrong order at Burger King. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't want any mayonnaise on this. <laughs> I wanted onion rings, not french fries. <laughs> <laughs> Quaid, you're one in a million. <laughs> so they continue on, Sam's one of his lab assistants. They continue to walk and they pitch a tent for the night. Now this tent looks like it is made out of a windbreaker. Yeah, it was paper thin. I didn't get this at all. Like they're in this tent throughout this whole movie and the tent's always like flapping in the breeze. It looks like it's made out of rice paper that you would get on from like a wedding invitation. People are freezing to death inside of buildings. Like instantaneous death. Like they're freezing. Like because they come across these people. It looks like they're made out of blue marble when they come across them. Like they're just frozen solid. And yet they're walking around fine in this paper thin tent they spend the night they're warm they give no inclination that they're cold no they're not like their masks are off and, and everything like, they're, they like, they're like man this is a tough walk i'm like are you even cold <laughs> <laughs> we get to the scene where the eye of the storm is now going over the new york metropolitan area yeah. and dennis quaid is around staten island he's at a wendy's in staten island he's over a garbage yeah, he's dump. over he's 100 feet above a garbage dump in staten, staten island <laughs> <laughs> and Burn. there's a Wendy's there. Ultimate product placement. Yeah. He sees this super eye wall. Now, I got to say that this looks pretty cool. It did. Like, this is the kind of thing, like, if you saw that in reality, you'd be like, I'm dead, right? I would drop to my knees like, in, that's it. in disbelief. And on top of that, this sounds stupid, but I'd feel pretty privileged to see something like that. As far as a human being goes, I don't think really too many people get to see that. Oh, yeah. By the way, his friend is unconscious at this point. Yeah. Because his friend has been injured from the uh, mall scene is bleeding and is unconscious at this point. So he drops his friend into the Wendy's 20 feet head, head first. first on a sled. I bet I heard his neck snap. <laughs> <laughs> Quaid all jumps in right behind him and you see the ice like it's a physical thing stalking a you like like it's a wolf stalking a person and freezing like, its way there, across the room and there's, there's like, a shot that made me laugh where like they show the American flag freezing mid flap slapping <laughs> in the breeze. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, all right, come on. Come on, guys. Really? We're we're hitting a fever pitch. This ice is drawing in on Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid. Yeah, because... Jake Gyllenhaal had to leave the he, library because be, his... His little girlfriend is dying. She's got gangrene in her she, leg. Yeah, and, she, has, she has sepsis. She has a, a severe leg infection. She's, and by the way, which I thought was great, like one of the side characters that's with them in the library is a librarian. And she's just like, oh, let me get this book. And she pulls out a medical textbook and automatically becomes a doctor. What are her symptoms? What, what's going on? Oh, she, I know this. She, she has sepsis. It's like, she has blood poisoning. I'm uh, like, really? I'm like, wow. You do you have medical training? I I love it when stuff like this happens. When people magically find a t a piece of information like that was almost given to them divinely. I'm going to make an obscure reference. So obscure, you may have a, a brain hemorrhage after this. Okay, go ahead. She pulled the trick out of My Stepmother's an Alien, starring Dan Aykroyd, where she takes her hand and puts it in a book and. And she automatically gets all the knowledge. Are you fucking kidding me? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. <laughs> 
while all this is going on, Jake Gyllenhaal's girlfriend is dying, so he has to go get medicine. And apparently that ship that came by the library is a Russian oil tanker or whatever. And Jake Gyllenhaal decides, like, I, maybe there's medicine on there. So they go on there. And apparently the wolves from earlier in the movie that escaped, they've been stalking Jake Gyllenhaal from the start. They knew, they knew he was out there somewhere and they found him. Now, I want to say that this plot device is profoundly stupid. This is so bad. This is unnecessary. These stupid CG wolves. I know that to create a sense of suspense, a lot of times people will have a impending doom scenario that's got a time limit. And then they need to compound that with an event that's going to keep the people from making it to safety within that time constraint. But they didn't have to do it with wolves. This was so dumb. They could have did it with like the doors didn't work or... How about the fact that it's so cold outside, you're freezing to death and you'll die just from being exposed to the elements. Isn't that enough? As they're escaping the oil tanker, the coming global mega-apocalypse has hit. We're treated to the scene of the Empire State Building just freezing over. And that's this is like the big shot that was in the trailer that I remember. The ice wall starts creeping at Jake Gyllenhaal, and he outruns ice, just like Mark Wahlberg outran the wind in The Happening. This is one and the same. Go, 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 go! And Mother Nature is creeping up to kill. They make it back in time. Quaid opens the door, and it's at this scene that Dennis Quaid gives a soul-piercing stare at Jake Gyllenhaal. And I remember this from the first time I watched this movie. This was when I knew what it was to have a father. You remember that smile on Dennis Quaid's face? Yeah, that enormous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Dennis, have you met a human being before? Do you know, <laughs> do you know what a smile looks like? <laughs> All right, so yeah, so father and son reunited together at last, and apparently the entire northern hemisphere is completely destroyed. <laughs> Everybody now lives in Mexico, so we're all Mexicans now. So, and that's it. That's the day after tomorrow, I guess. Very paper thin plot with a bunch of stuff. And a very heavy handed speech from the president to end it off. Oh, yeah. Moral of this story global warming bad, Dennis Quaid. Good. Okay, Martin, let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. The only truly scary thing about this doomsday popcorn flick is the monumental ineptitude of the acting, writing, and directing. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. I know disaster flicks rarely make a whole lot of sense, but this film seems to go out of its way to be stupid. (laughs) Paul Clinton, CNN.com. And finally, the second half is comically bad movie making. Jack Matthews, New York Daily News. Okay, Martin, this movie currently holds a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? You know, I was definitely entertained for a good portion of this movie on the disaster scenes alone. The story is stupid, but I don't know. I wasn't, it didn't feel like a chore to watch this, and I was mildly entertained through the whole movie. I kind of enjoyed it. So, no, I don't think it's really that bad. I'll give it a three out of five. If you love seeing Dennis Quaid, I mean, he's at the top of his game in this movie. You got to check it out. You know, you're right. I needed this palate cleanser to really wash away the stench of the last few movies that we've been watching. Like this was a breath of fresh air. Like this movie in reality probably isn't that good, but just in comparison, comparison to to what we watch, I don't get to watch that many movies 
anymore. I'm so busy. Like pretty much the only movies I've been watching these days are the ones that I watch for this show. So the last, last few movies I've seen were all one star turds. <laughs> so we got Dennis Quaid, you know, we got some effects. So I think in reality, this movie's a two, but by comparison, I, I just I just have to bump it up. You know, the, the Quaid factor knocks it up a notch. Three, I'll give it a, a light three out of five. I can think about all the scenes where Dennis Quaid's acting is really flat and just giggling. <laughs> I was just like, like a little kid just giggling. Dennis, what are you doing? Why don't you try? Like you can, I know you can act. You just don't want to. It's like he just purposely doesn't act. Yeah, so that's it. So, so threes, finally. We got on our jet skis and drove out of Waterworld. Okay, Martin, uh, we got a voicemail about this movie. I'll play that for you right now. To listen to your messages, press one. Joel and Martin, it's your favorite listener, and I know it. It's Buckphomia. It's Jenny. Skyline did the face-off thing, which is unacceptable. That is just for face-off. I couldn't believe that you finally picked a Clay movie that I'd already seen. So I've seen Day After Tomorrow multiple times, once with Rift Tracks. Have you guys gotten into Rift Tracks yet? You really should. I've seen Day After Tomorrow, and it does the classic Planet of the Apes frozen, inconvenient truth, Statue of Liberty. And I just remember, first of all, not believing in a million years Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal would be related. Secondly, I hate Emmy Rossum. I hate her. Her vacant puppy stare is infuriating. And also, uh, I just remember the scene where Dennis Quaid's trying to get back and they're all in the public library and these people are fighting about like which book should be destroyed or not. It's like, bitch, we have to survive. Fuck books. Rewrite them from memory. Anyway, bye guys. Hey guys, it's Jess from Ohio, your super fan. Um, I'm calling it up the day after tomorrow. This movie and I have a really long history. We had a dollar theater in the town I grew up in, and it was the only not R-rated movie that was showing. And so I think I've seen this pile of crap like 15 times because I was in high school and we could get in and it was a dollar. And I just remember it getting more and more ridiculous with each watching. Like the first time you watch a movie, you're like following the plot. You might not be all the way in, but at least you're following the plot so some of the more ridiculous stuff doesn't stick out to you. But on like the fifth watching, you notice how like... Where did those wolves come from? Like, did somebody just open the cages at the zoo? Did the snow open the cages at the zoo? Why are these wolves just wandering around in New York City? Why did it suddenly just stop snowing and apocalypsing? I'm not a, I'm not a meteorologist, but every time I've ever seen a weather map, it doesn't look like a tie-dye t-shirt. This might be, I don't know, a little too sensitive, and it didn't really bother me, but I just thought it was ballsy to do a movie in which, like, you in any way destroy New York City, especially like after 9-11. Maybe I just, I love New York too much, or maybe I'm overly sensitive to those sort of things, but I thought that it was a little, maybe callous. All in all, this movie isn't as bad as Catwoman, or really even Armageddon. It's fun to watch, it's silly, it's not a good movie, but I don't think it's the worst movie ever made. And I agree with you guys, this movie teaches fathers what it is to be a father. Like, I'm going to be really disappointed if I get snowed in New York City and my father doesn't walk there to get me. End of new messages. Thanks for that voicemail. Thank you. Let's read some listener mail. Polinuk writes in and says, I'm really hoping that you guys end up reviewing The Day After Tomorrow. That movie is such a piece of cheesy schlock. Where to begin? Do I laugh at the scene where the gas lines and the helicopter freeze and, as soon as the door opens, the guard inside of the helicopter freezes in place? The scene where you see J.O. Sanders' character's death coming as they stand on the skylight of the snowed-in mall? Donnie Darko being attacked by wolves on a Russian car 
cargo ship. Or better yet, watching him, the kid from the journey of Alan Strange, and the kid Whoa. who would go on to be on One Tree Hill, outrunning a wall of cold like it was an alien beam blast from <laughs> Independence Day. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoy. That's a really good way to describe that. That's exactly what it's like. It's like Mr. Freeze shot his freeze ray at the library, and it's just spreading through the library. Okay, John writes in, talking about Skyline. I think your review of Skyline was right on. I watched it before listening to the show and had the same conclusions. Throughout the whole movie, I found myself asking, yeah, and why do I care? Normally, in an alien invasion film, there are clips of other newsrooms all over the world to show how serious the invasion is, to show everyone is in danger. This wasn't done in Skyline, presumably because it was more about the character held up in the apartment complex. Their stories and actions. One problem. The characters and script sucked, so no one cared. Like you, I'm a huge fan of Scrubs and Donald Faison's character, Dr. Turk, but that's what he is, a character. Throughout the episode, you refer to Faison as Dr. Turk. I understand it's the role he's known for, but the dude is a real person. Give him some credit. Use his name. Thanks, John. I'm sorry, Joel. Yeah. Hey, man, I called that guy the Merovingian for an entire episode and nobody cared. I I guess Turk has a lot more fans than Merovingian does. (laughs) All right, I'll be on the lookout for that. Big Daddy Fat Sack says, I'm surprised Skyline ever made it to theaters. It's the class of cheap direct-to-DVD TV movies like Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. The story could have been better, and I really hated the little thing the main actors kept doing with his fingers to his girlfriend's face. I did not care about any of the characters. It took way too long for them to die off. The aliens and the girlfriend's fetus were the best actors. <laughs> I would rather have donated bone marrow instead of watching this again. Wow. Jeez. Here's a good one. Wesley writes in and says, Joel, you mentioned in a previous podcast that there was a year, I think it was 2008, where you saw like eight or 10 movies and every movie you went to see was really good. Do you remember which movies you saw that year? I need some good recommendations. Well, all right. This is the glorious summer of 2008. And I'm only counting the movies I saw that summer. I'm sure I saw other things in the fall and stuff, but uh, I was specifically referring to that this was the greatest summer for movies in my life. I was on a hot streak. I remember that summer. You're like, you were turning me down left and right yeah movies so i'm to. You're not like, seeing the hulk i am not seeing like, the you're happening like, no way am i going i'm on a hot streak i can't blow this yeah so these are the movies i saw and i like them all to varying degrees this list is in no particular order but at the time they all got threes and fours Iron Man, Speed Racer, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Kung Fu Panda, Wally, Wanted, Hancock, Hellboy 2, The Dark Knight, and Pineapple Express. That was 2008. I've had several years to digest this and reevaluate them. The order of the li- of how I like them has shifted. Now, given that list, what do you think I like the most now and like the least now? Gotham Knight came out. I think you probably liked that the most, followed by Wally or Wally then Gotham Knight. You probably like either Pineapple Express or uh, Crystal Skull the least. Is that pretty good, guess-wise? The movie I like the least of that list, Hancock. Really? Yeah, I've grown to dislike that movie. I'll keep it at a low three, but I've grown to dislike it. I thought the idea was cool. Yeah, and the movie that I like the most will surprise you. Wasn't The Dark Knight, Speed Racer. Really? I'm even shocked because I gave it a three at first, but my score has changed quite a bit. Maybe I'll talk about that on this show someday. <laughs> Where are you at now? Now, that's that's a secret. Like uh, To give some people some insights into the world of, yeah, it's that bad, I recorded an emergency Speed Racer podcast with a, another friend of mine that no one, none of you have ever heard before, and that's just been sitting on my hard drive. So should I ever decide to unleash it, you'll find out what my true feelings are. On a movie which I just said I liked better than the Dark Knight. Speed Racer. So it's got to be a five. Universally hated. Who knows? My opinion of the Dark Knight might have gone down. 
No, I know. No, I know you pretty well. I'm going to say no. Thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yasthatbad at gmail.com. Now on to the question of the week. And the question was, what's a special effects driven movie that actually delivered on the goods with, with plot and acting and all that stuff? The Dark Knight, not Speed Racer. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Little Dave says, The Thing, the 1982 John Carpenter film, it wasn't CG, but the previews were just showing off the effects and the movie bombed with horrible reviews saying it was nothing but a disgustathon and nothing but gross side effects and no story. Shannon says, Sin City, this film was probably 90% green screen, but the special effects were subtle and effective. Also, the performances and action was fantastic. Bill says, Terminator 2. The story and characters are incredible, and the special effects hold up surprisingly well 20 years later. Richard and White says, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Inception come to mind. Both have intriguing plots. However, the plots were dependent on the special effects and vice versa. I agree with that completely. Anonymous says, Rise of the Planet of the Apes depends heavily on CG in order to make the apes lifelike. However, the plot of the film is fantastic and really brings a new twist to the much maligned Planet of the Apes storyline. Michael says, District 9, only one word can describe this film, amazing. The characters were people you actually cared about when all the action was going on, and the alien characters looked like they actually could be from another world. The direction by Neil Blomkamp was very well done, knowing what to show to get the audience hooked in. Highly recommended to anyone who loves film. I completely agree with him. As do I. I remember when I saw District 9, I said to myself and it was over, I said, this is why I love going to the movies. Okay, SBQ Reefer says, on special effects question, the Lord of the Rings trilogy comes to mind. Although the story credit clearly goes to Tolkien, still, and though I can't imagine the tale being told without the excellent effects, it's a credit to the filmmakers that those same effects did not subsume the story, becoming a distracting nuisance. And finally, Anonymous says, honorable mention for cheapest and coolest special effects movie with absolutely fantastic story, Moon. If you haven't seen it, see it. Looks fantastic. If derivative of 2001, made for 5 million bucks. Why don't you get a Kevin Spacey robot? Moon is awesome. I like that more than 2001. I like the book 2001 better than the movie Moon. Okay. But I like Moon better than the movie 2001. What do you think about that? Uh, All right, all right. Thanks for those responses, guys. Now it's time for this week's question of the week. And I've been harping these past couple weeks. I said, listen, you better click that like button for our Facebook page or else you're going to be left behind, you know? (laughs) So uh, before we recorded this thing, I I threw out um, a request. I need some ideas for the question of the week. So I've mentioned in the previous episode and in this one that Dennis Quaid let me know how big a failure my father was (laughs) in my life and what it was like to actually have a great father. And Jake writes in and asks the question, if you could choose a movie dad to be your father, who would it be? That's a good question. So That's a great question. Who'd you pick other than Quaid? John Ritter from Problem Child 2. (laughs) Oh, I got got it. I got one. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jingle All the Way. (laughs) (laughs) He'd do anything to get me that toy. (laughs) Which movie dad would you like to be your real dad? Head on over to YasThatBad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Now it's time to announce the movies for the next listener's choice poll. We spent some time with Dennis Quaid, one of our previous patron saints. I think we should dredge up another one from our dark, checkered past (laughs) on this show. Emily Browning. I mean, I'm riding on a high right now. We just got to see Dennis Quaid. Why not keep the momentum going? Yeah, so the theme is Emily Browning movies. So your choices are Sucker Punch versus Ghost Ship. (sighs) 
So you have a movie that everybody hated from last year versus a movie where people get slashed and sliced to little pieces in the opening sequence. So there, there's your pick. I wonder what's going to win this one, but uh, Sucker Punch versus Ghost Ship. As for next week's movie, this is a movie that actually helped us decide what the format of this show would be. And it, that came about in a weird way. I had gone out to the store and picked up like six copies of this. Yeah, Martin little. owns multiple copies of this movie because, for no reason. Well, well, uh, there was a blockbuster closing down and I I really like this movie and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this out as gifts because everyone <laughs> needs to enjoy it as much as I do. That didn't happen. No one enjoyed it but me, but whatever. I gave it my best shot. Once again, one of our previous patron saints is returning. The Nicholas Cage. Rage in the Cage. In Knowing. Yeah, and a lot of people have requested Knowing too. So if you've already seen Knowing please give us a call at 973-797-9324. Call us up, leave us a little mini review, and we'll play it on the show. So once again, to recap, head on over to YasThatBad.com where you can vote for our next listener's choice poll movie. And the choices are Sucker Punch versus Ghost Ship. And tune in next week when we will be reviewing Knowing starring Nicolas Cage. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. And you better hit that like button on Facebook to yeah. continue to get into Joel's good graces. Absolutely. Click the like button on Facebook, or you can talk about us on Twitter. You can follow us at Yeah It's Bad. Also, I have some news for all you guys out there. I've been getting a lot of requests for people wanting us to put the show on Stitcher. Your wish is my command. So yeah, it's that bad. It has officially been picked up by Stitcher. So you can use that to listen to our show on Blackberries and Android phones and in your car and all these other places. So if you've got a friend who you think should be listening to our show, now they have no excuse. <laughs> put a gun to their head, tell them to download Stitcher, listen to our show. You really are a humanist. I'm a really compassionate human being. You, you are. Put a gun to their head and force <laughs> them to listen to it. Okay, so once again, thanks for listening to the show and uh, we'll see you next time. You know, I just realized this is the second movie we've watched where Dennis Quaid, you know, subordinate to the president. Oh, yeah. He is in real life, too. <laughs> <laughs> he, he reports directly to the president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>